Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table, where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Join our fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community, as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360. This is the official talk show for the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis, or AI Arthritis for short. My name is Tiffany Westrich Robertson. I am the CEO of the organization, and I am also a person living with AI arthritis diseases myself, primarily axial spondyloarthritis, or the non radiographic version. Oh, there's just so many extras to my, to my name here. It becomes very long with our name, my name, my disease name. But I'm not alone. No, I am not. I have two people sitting at the table with me today. And the first one is Miss Deb and the second one, Miss Katie. Hello, you both. Hi. How are you? I'm well. Doing great. All right. Well, hey, Deb, give us a little introduction. Tell us sure. about Deb- Debolicious. <laughs> Yeah, ah, and that, that's an that inside name, joke. <laughs> yes, that's a that's been coined by Tiffany, and I answer to it proudly because I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm Deb Constein. I am in the Madison, Wisconsin area, and I have had what I call what I refer to as rheumatoid arthritis since I was 13 years old. Uh, again, many other little name tweaks in there as time goes on, but 38, 39 years of uh, having this disease. So I am kind of a veteran as far as that piece goes. Um, I feel like I've got lots, so many years of experience in that alone and lots of things that have happened in the meantime. But I've also got OA, again, I'm 52. So OA has got to peek its head in there and all the other things. Osteo. Um, osteoarthritis, arthritis. yes. And again, that's a different kind of arthritis just because that happens naturally from the wear and tear, not when your body fights fights against you, which is more the autoimmune and autoinflammatory versions. So um, yeah, Katie, take it away. Thank you. Um, I was just thinking how kind of similar our, our stories are. Um, yeah. But I'm Katie Simons. I'm the senior Programs and Communication Manager at AR Arthritis. I'm also a person living with an AR Arthritis disease, rheumatoid arthritis, or Deb, like you said. It's what we just refer to ourselves now as. Been diagnosed almost 20 years ago. Yeah, and because of my RA, I have a little bit of OA too, which you explained so concisely, which I appreciate. <laughs> and, and yeah, so eager to get our show on the road. All right. Well, thank you, Katie. Thank you, Deb. Debolicious. Okay. Well, one day we'll have to, you know, it's not really that funny of a story, but it just kind of stuck. It kind anyway. of is. I like it. <laughs> so today's topic 
that we are putting on the table for you today. And I'm going to circle back and tell you a little bit more about what that phrase means here in a bit. But our topic is making informed decisions in unprecedented times. And I think we all know what that's code phrase for. Um, all unprecedented states, times. Unprecedented, yeah, that word. Never heard that, that word. word so many times in my life. But all stakeholders to the table because this one is for you. That is our topic today, the importance of making informed decisions and some of the pitfalls that can happen when we're not informed. So that that is the topic. And and we just want to, for those of you who have not tuned into our show, what we do, there's, there's a couple things I just want to preface. Our organization, our mission is for us to help other people who live with autoimmune or autoinflammatory, which are diseases of the immune system, these diseases that also include the inflammatory type of arthritis is a major component in most people. So we used to say AI arthritis diseases for short, and that is very different than OA or osteoarthritis, which, which Deb and Katie both prefaced before. Well, what we do is we help others like us all around the world to be able to come to the table, give their perspectives, give their opinions, so we can identify the most pressing issues that need to be solved to improve our lives. And we do this by uniting all of these voices as equals next to all of the other different stakeholders that mean a person who has a stake in your disease. So it could be a doctor, it could be a family member, it could be a nurse, it could be a researcher, government, policy. It just, they're endless, however it is that they are going to be impactful in your life. And then together as equals, we work towards solving the problem. So we do like to say we're problem solvers. That is, it is ingrained in our mission and it is ingrained in the process. And when I say the process, we have a six-step process at our organization. The first one, talking with patients, identifying that problem. The second one is right here, right now. You're seen in an action. Step two, it doesn't sound that that when I say step two <laughs> after that. It's big, huge because again, big been grandiose buildup. Um, <laughs> exactly, getting that momentum going. Yeah, but step two is when we we say, okay, this is an issue. It's time to put it on the table. And in these episodes, you will have patients, people living with the diseases, because we are the ones who identified the problem. So we are the ones putting it on the table. And then it goes to the other steps of of problem solving, which involve inviting all of you to the table, getting your input, rethinking, re-strategizing until eventually we come up with some sort of solution. And, and often that is a resource, a, you know, more education. You know, we'd love to be able to say problem solved, but that's a kind of a big one. So we just keep recycling around until we can get to, to an outcome that all stakeholders can adopt that all of us can agree to is, yeah, we're on board with that. that. That'll work. So this is step two. And we wanted to bring this up because there's a lot of issues going on here right now in this world with informed decision-making. And I'm going to just, because we also, our show is is conversational. We're not interview people. We we do everything we we do at our organization through fluid conversations. So I'm just going to put this topic of informed decision-making on the table and turn it over to a conversation with Dev and Katie and let you bring out a couple of the really important points that we need to talk about today. So I'm just bringing this up because this actually directly involves me and my medication that I am currently on and hope to stay on (laughs) at this point. (laughs) 
It is based around Actemera, which is a biologic medication that I have found that has actually been working pretty well for me. Started out with the self-pen injectors at home and felt better, but didn't feel really good. So my doctor wanted to tweak it and start the IV infusion version, which is done at either a doctor's office or at the hospital or an infusion center, something like that. There is now a shortage of the Ectemera medication that is out there. So the medication is being used in particular for hospitalized COVID patients, and it is now become a shortage because hospitals are using it for them and now rheumatologists are having to reach out to their patients and switch their medications entirely or switch back to the self-injectors at home or, you know, just have a conversation about what the next steps might be. So I received that phone call after my first infusion and actually started feeling human again. I think I described it as I had to actually remember what it felt like to be in pain all the time. And I actually was able to, you know, function in a day and not being continuously reminded that I was in pain. And you, you know, when that happens, it it kind of happens naturally and you forget about it. And you're like, wait, I am feeling better. I haven't Mm -hmm. had to think about that before. So that's where I was. And then I got the phone call from my rheumatologist to basically have the conversation of the situation is happening and we need to switch you back to the self-injectors, which again, with my hands, I've got really bad hands. So my husband does the self-injecting for me. So thank goodness I have a husband to do that because I'm not sure what my other choice would be. <laughs> well, and, um, when, and, and to clarify, when you say bad hands, you have damage severely, from yeah, long-term severely deformed. Yeah. Yeah. And my thumbs don't work correctly anymore to grip things correctly. I can't do that. I'm dropping things all the time and I don't want to drop that because it would be, a, <laughs> I'd lose a whole medication. Ah, that's a, yeah, real, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am super careful. Although it is a hard plastic, but I remember when I was being talked to by the pharmacist, she was making points about not dropping it. So it kind of like stuck in my head. I'm just like, dang, I better not touch it that much. (laughs) So, so that is, that's one of the issues that, that we're going to go into a little bit more about today. And, and actually there is a press release we put out and also a longer version of the article on this topic that we will link you to here later. And I do want to clarify one thing as well that, that Deb said, is that she was told to, she had to go back on the injection. There are two forms of this. There is an infusion where, as Deb right. said, you go to the hospital, you're hooked up to this equipment, yeah. and it's infused yep. into your body. And then there's the injection form that you give yourself essentially a shot. And mm-hmm. some people uh, wouldn't be going back. In Deb's case, she's going back because, and a lot of the people we talked to actually um, started on it, wasn't aggressive, the, the treatment itself was not aggressive enough. You cannot change the dosage that is approved in this injection form. So the solution to get more of the medication was to go to the infusion form. So some people started with the infusion form and that has something to do with access and insurance companies and healthcare and you know what they'll allow you to have and what you won't. So for them going, it wouldn't be going back to the injections. It would be 
try the injection. So there's a lot though. And I wanted to point that out to show the complexity. We're not all one size fits all. The solution isn't going to work for everybody when we have to mix and match. And again, we'll get more into that. We just wanted to kind of put, that's one of the informed decisions that we're going to talk about. Katie, why don't you, why don't you put another one on the table? Well, when you say informed decisions, my mind, of course, I feel like we're not we're not saying the COVID word, but you know, we're talking about the unprecedented, unprecedented times of COVID and informed decisions. My mind immediately goes to social media and people no. giving their no. opinions. Um, yeah. But also on social media, you can get sort of news alerts through that medium and they, I think, can get muddled and people taking recommendations or snippets of articles or reading headlines and how that can just like you were saying with the different nuances and layers and everything needing to be so particular to make things work, how that can just get all sorts of complicated and contentious really quick, especially when you're talking about life and death. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it comes to down to the one question, who do you believe? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, truly. Who do you believe? And well, and what do you believe? You oh, got almost in, in today's yes. world. I yes. mean, there's two very dire ends of the spectrum, and you know, anti-vaccination. COVID's not real. COVID is real. I mean, you you yeah. everybody's seen them. We don't have to list them out here. Yeah, and those are just two of them. And there's probably a hundred of them out there, if not more. That again, two different sides of seeing the same thing. And then you add. You know, we can't forget when you're talking about social media, it connects the world. So now what we've realized that our organization, especially as we're, we host, you know, online groups or as people living with the diseases, we are just members of many of them. So, so we're sort of in the trenches as people living with these diseases. And one of the things that's been really eye-opening in these conversations for me anyway, is we're all in different phases of COVID. And different phases sure. of the vaccination. So in the United States and some places in Canada, you know, in, in different areas in the world, those who are immune compromised, and if you're on our medications, you count. If you're not on our medications, then you actually have a heightened immune system, not in compromised immune system. It's our medications that make it us compromised. And saying that, a lot of us have already had our third shot. Shout out to Sarah in New Zealand. Shout out. She is in our article. We interviewed her about the September shortage and she just only received one. You know, one of her shots. So um, that is, that that in itself, when you, you have polar opposite perspectives and then anything in between <laughs> all of the great right. perspectives. And then you match, you mix in the different places in the journey that people are at. You're going to get a mismatch of a lot and and then again, and there's no limits because it's global. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a great point, because here in the United States, we have better access to the vaccine. But there you go. I mean, um, I believe you said Sarah was from New Zealand. I mean, she's only had one of three shots. And I mean, I think the three of us all have our booster shots you know, in us as well. I got mine. Yeah, I, I need to add to that also that. You have to be approved to have a third. And we'll date this here. We're in November of 2021. And there are, you have to be approved to have the third. So just as of a few weeks ago in Canada, again, social media, we're talking to our friends in Canada and we're sitting here like, oh, we got our third. And they were actually told in legislation 
three weeks ago that they don't, they are not included in that list. But then all of a sudden, magically, three days later, they get a, the same person who posted gets a notification saying, it's time, you can get your oh boosters. Oh my so, goodness. So you got to also look, so when we're talking about being informed, it's very important to not only listen, you're listening to what everybody else is approved to do, but you really have to look at your own local, your yeah. own state, your own province, your own country, because yeah. it's just different. And yeah. and if somebody's saying, oh, you can go get this because you're immune compromised, maybe not. Maybe not in your country. And also your own healthcare providers. Because I was looking at for the booster as far as do you stop medications? If so, for how long? Oh, that's a whole other issue. Yeah, exactly. It's very nuanced, very complicated. I know my rheumatologist, she even said three days after you get the shot, I should hold for my booster. And I didn't have any kind of guidance like that when I got the two first original ones. So it's it's very kind of. It's changing. Yeah, it's just it's changing with the calendar. Yeah. And I should interject when we're talking about informed decisions and one of the second bullet I guess that we said was going to blend together is, is, you know, what, where can you find good information as well is we do on our website, we have an arthritis.org backslash COVID page. And on that, we do like to keep the most current recommendations up there. So for ACR, for the United Kingdom, Europe, et cetera. So we do keep that updated and that is one place you can go, but you can literally go to your government, whatever your government websites are or the CDC or those types of- Reputable. Yeah, those are reputable. Yeah. For us, the rheumatology specifically community, so you've got the American College of Rheumatology and ULAR are in Europe are really two that no matter what, I would follow them. Because and they might be slightly different in the recommendations because there's different advisors that are yeah, on these committees. Exactly. But mm-hmm. but they're still at least going to be mostly on the same track. There might be a little recommendation different here and there with the medication, but it's very important to do shared decision making. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, it was my doctor calling me and having a conversation and bringing that point up as far as, you know, hey, are you willing? Are you? And I I also think she knows me that, I mean, in this situation, I felt like it was okay to do make this decision. And she's now following, I've also had to follow up appointment. And she asked me, how are you doing? And I said, well, I've definitely taken a step backwards. And I am reminded about, like, I wake up in the middle of the night because my hips are bothering me, my shoulders are bothering me. And I wasn't having that during that little magical month. I mean, that's pretty quick for it to show that decent of a benefit. So- Yeah. So it's frustrating a bit, just, you know, having to have to go off the medication and now wait. And Genentech is the manufacturer. And I'm just, I keep kind of wondering, it's been a few months that this has actually been happening already. Like I'm thinking, I think we're up at three months already. And I keep wondering, is Genentech, what are they doing to increase the production? And are they beefing it up? (laughs) 
Well, let me first circle back and just define shared decision-making because we, we threw it out there and then we gave an example. But there's many episodes that we have talked about it and, and we can we can link you to, but we are, are leaders we know in, in the rheumatology community on this. I mean, I personally sit on the American College of Rheumatology's telehealth group, which is working on communication and shared decision-making as part of that. And then Wash U, Washington University, holla, uh, have, has also asked AR Arthritis to sit on their project to help develop shared decision-making in e-health. So taking that sort of project to the next level and the person who is the project manager at WashU is also on the ACR telehealth committee with me. So you can kind of see how that, that all wraps together. So we are very versed and we are here to help you with that. We also have a project, another holler, Johnson & Johnson slash Jansen did give us a grant to, which is part of this episode, why we're, we're airing this episode, and to really help people make informed decisions on anything COVID vaccination related. But in particular, in Deb's case, and in a lot of cases, we don't know because things are moving so fast, you need to make sure you're talking to your rheumatologist. And I know that's not always, you don't have the same situation, Deb, with your rheumatologist. If you've listened to the show, you know Al, Dr. Al Kim, Dr. Al, or just Al, that's my rheumatologist. And, you know, obviously we have an amazing relationship, but not that's not the case with everybody. But I can't express enough how in times like this, having that conversation with your doctor and then getting all of the information and making the best decision for your treatment plan, for your therapeutic management based on your individual needs, your preferences, will injections work, are infusions better for me? There's a lot of conversation that needs to come at this time, especially if some medications are being pulled. It's just yeah. more important than ever. So I just I just wanted wanted to mention that as well. Yeah, I can't express enough. I, you know, I have an amazing relationship with my rheumatologist as well. And when we talk through things, she's taking notes on this. It's got carbon copies. So it's two sheets of paper. She's writing down what we're talking about. What are some suggestions for future or like what's on the table right now? Like she'll put three different options down and then ask me what my opinion is. And I, I love that because I usually do have an opinion and I'll also ask her what her opinion is and, you know, we'll make the decision together. So again, perfect, perfect example. example. Yeah. How about you, Katie? I don't think I've got as good of a relationship with my rheumatologist, but I am very comfortable with her. I know I can bring up conversations that you're talking about infusions and injections, I am slightly needle phobic, not of other people with needles, but myself doing self-injections. So she knows that that is absolutely not going to be happening for me. I don't give my shots. I I, I am needle. Mm -hmm. I can remember back 20 years when I was trying to do my first ones and sit at the table going one, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> and I wouldn't do anything. Or if I three, did, two, I didn't one. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> and then I didn't check myself. No, yeah, nothing's working. <laughs> and then I pull the needle out and I wouldn't do anything when oh, I did poke myself. So wah, I've done wah. that. I know. And like you, I've got some issues with my thumbs, so I don't even know if I'd be able to. And then I don't know if I would trust anyone else to give me a shot. So that is definitely something that, you know, luckily my rheumatologist knows that, you know, yeah, not to do that. 
But you were mentioning um, the shortages and stuff. When I was looking at all the other medications that are kind of being used, similar similarly to Actemra, I saw my medication on there. I'm like, oh. On the list? Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like, is this something like an avalanche off in the distance that I'm going to get caught up in in a few months? Hopefully not. I am, like you, Tiffany mentioned, there are different forms of different medications, and I'm on a pill form. So... I'm not doing infusions or injections. Maybe that would change. I don't know. But I am definitely aware that this is an ongoing situation and I have some hope, but COVID hasn't been going away anytime soon. So I am kind of keeping an eye out on, you know, what would happen if my medication got changed? Because like you, like something to think about, I'm doing so much better now. And Uh I don't want to go back to constant pain and constant, you know, being aware of pain and draining of the energy and and not being able to get through your day. And it's tough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that nervousness. And now it's starting the talking about the self injectors being, you know, a shortage of those potentially to come. And that scares the crumb out of me. I've already, I've already had a few people personally email me or it's been mentioned in some of our social media groups where they have have been told that there is no more there are no more pens there's no more self-injectors either I actually had somebody email me yesterday morning Katie I think I, I copied you in the response and she was told it's her daughter so one of the things to know about these arthritis diseases is you can tell Katie and Deb both had teen onset. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I had my onset in my mid thirties, but these typically you're talking about early life, prime of your life. So when we're saying, oh, you know, getting through the day, this, we're talking about being able to function. We're talking Mm -hmm. about being able to work. If I wasn't on these medications, I could not be the CEO of AR arthritis. It'd be impossible because I'd have to sleep way more. I I would be drained of my, of my energy. I would have physical limitations, not be able to stand long, sit long. There's all these may seem like little things, but those are just general quality of life that a lot of people take, take, um, you know, for granted. Yeah. Take for granted. We've had people say, I can't hold my baby. I can't feed my baby. My parents had to move in because I could that's, not do that's that. That's what I had. I, I had that too. It. Yeah. With my son. In the, the other thing. So I have a whole list of, of pointing out here to, to kind of circle back on. And one of the things is the importance of our drugs, because all of our diseases still have a, an element of uniqueness per the individual. So that's why what works for Deb may not work for me. And Katie might think it's the best thing in the world. And I might say, I was on that thing for four months and nothing happened. So that's why when you finally find the one that works, the imp- just having a real, like a regular life, being able to, to actually do the wash and dry your clothes at the same time. Oh, More than like, one chart per day. <laughs> Yeah. You know, because you didn't run out of energy or your hands didn't start, you know, like cramping up or, or what have you. But but the but that's one of the points that, that I wanted to, to bring up. And then the other thing is what, what Katie was mentioning and what Deb is experiencing and going back to this email, it was juvenile. It's juvenile. So her daughter was on the infusions and then we're told, okay, you're getting pulled. 
because one of the things that I'm going to add to what Deb said is, yes, it is happening for the hospitalized patients. That's that's the one drug that's approved. There are many in the process of being tested in clinical trials and, you know, will this work for COVID as well? And so we're hoping that the shortage will sort of even itself out. If more, if, if there's more, we won't, nobody will have to go without. But the thing to remember is that it's just a fact. The high percentage of people who are are in hospitals on oxygen in need of this medication are those that are unvaccinated. And it just goes to show if you if you if you're not if you've not made that choice yet, if you have not been vaccinated and you have your arsenal of this is why, we would like you to at least add to that level of education to make an informed decision that if you end up in the hospital and are in need of this medication, there are thousands of people all over the world that are sacrificing their own quality of life, not asking, by the way, to sacrifice, just being told we're taking this from you to give to the critical. So chronic illness is now not as important because we need to take care of critical illness. And so, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues that come with that long-term disability, not being able to get your quality of life back for possibly months, you know, if ever. So, mm-hmm. so there's a lot that, that goes into this. And then also to answer your question, you said, Deb, about the production, you know, you could, you could always look up on their website. They do try to update their statements, but what I want everyone to remember is that it takes a long time. It's a very complex system to make these medications. These now what, what Katie pill form, that's a little different because it's it's a manufacturing process that is very different when you're just talking about a pill. But the the biologic injections and the infusions, these are live molecules. These are, you know, living <laughs> living medications if you will. And the process is extremely time consuming. You know, I think that all has to, we have to remember the process it takes to do the manufacturing. It's not an assembly line situation where we can just, we can just um, flip a switch and have it produced. Flip, flip a switch. And even, you know, I'm going to make the analogy to toilet paper <laughs> because, you know, we all live through we all that. Ex- yeah, we and, all experienced it. And when you, when you think, you know, I rem- I went and you know, you see all these big toilet paper manufacturers on the news and they're like, look, we have machines and they are running full capacity. It's impossible. We they run full capacity all year round, matter of fact. So we can't even like turn a switch and do it faster because there this is what we can do. And stop buying it. <laughs> stop yeah. hoarding. 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 Mm-hmm. That's ding, the word. Yeah. Yes. We also wanted what you want to just briefly mention what's happening with some of this ectemra. And we understand hospitals don't want to, I mean, nobody wants to see anybody pass from COVID. I've known Correct. people. Yeah. Our yeah. own co-founder, Kelly, oh, her, her father and her uncle. I mean, nobody wants to see that happen. But, you know, at the, at the same time, um, I was going to say, like, at the same time, there are ways to prevent all these hospitalizations. If more people were to get vaccinated who have the availability to do so, which in the states is quite a bit, you know, that can prevent the shortages that can help people like us function better in society. And something that I've been thinking about is the whole, but you don't look sick, you look fine. You're seeing people. Yeah when they're at their best, when they have their medications, when they have their treatments. 
That's a great point. When we don't get them, we're not out in the world. We're not, you know, taking selfies. We're in we're not, bed. We're in yeah, bed. We're, in we're bed. not yeah. functioning the way we should. Yeah. So, And I've got a husband that picks up where I leave off. And mm-hmm. I have my moments where I, I'll stop in the middle of doing whatever I'm doing. And I'll just sit on the couch. Yep. Just to just regroup. And he doesn't even ask anymore. He knows what's happening. He can see it. And that's where he will do the extra loads of laundry, do the vacuuming, clean, do whatever he needs to do to just help me along because he knows that. And you're absolutely right, Katie. I yeah, mean, that is a good, a, a great point with the invisible yeah. disease because then that adds another level of complexity to this and being informed because there might be people that say, oh, well, why wouldn't you sacrifice your treatment yes. for people who are dying? I mean, oh my gosh, yes, that is a yeah. that of course mm-hmm. you, you wanna you wanna think that. I think the problem is it doesn't have to happen. Right. There there is there technically is enough to go around if people were not hospitalized. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. so there and going back to the hoarding, when we use the analogy of the toilet paper, we've all experienced that. You're going around you're like, "Oh my gosh, I mean, what am I going to do? I, you know, I yeah. use a corn cob." Everybody needs know. toilet like, paper. Oh, what was that when I was little? My parents, that was, I don't know, maybe we should edit that out. <laughs> but um no, you, you get the hoarding and and we do know that there are reports of hospitals hoarding essentially stockpiling the the COVID and that that's what I was where I was going before is that I understand I mean we understand you want to make sure that you're having that supply so that you can save lives I mean it, it makes sense but at the same time you add the hoarding to the already existing shortage now right. we have this this mom that's emailing me and saying you know, well, my daughter was on injection, I mean, excuse me, on infusions. And then what ended up happening is they told her, we can't give you the infusions, we're going to give you the injections. So then she was told, you know, I maybe not. And then it eventually was like, yes, you're approved. Well, it never showed up. They never got the medication. And so she said, as of yesterday, it's been four weeks now, a month, that her daughter has gone without of anything, yeah. Without anything. anything. Yeah, and that's awful. And they've also been notified it's because they're in this weird window where now the, in, the injections are starting to be pulled because they don't have enough of the infusions. And even though it's not clinically in the trials for the injection, only the infusion, but the philosophy there is, well, it's it's still the same mechanism of action. It's still the same drug. So maybe the injections, if we're, you know, we're helpless here, well, we'll use those. And so what happened, from what I understand, is she, is her family fell in this weird window. They got approved. And then within that approval time, it got pulled. So now she's has to go, they have to go back to the rheumatologist and find another medication. And we all, we all know it takes usually three to six months for a new medication to fully take effect to even know if it's going to take effect right and in the meantime you've got the yeah yeah. you're just sitting there yeah and suffering and long-term damage i know both me and deb have had surgeries to correct the damage done in our early years so yeah, yeah it's not just a minor pre-biologic incom- yeah yeah not just oh a month without treatment that month has you know a ripple effect that you don't even fully know yet so right and the rheumatologist is like just hang in there let's get to the three to six months to find out if it's 
going to work for you. And that's a long window. And there's also certain medications that you could previously be on and you have to wait a month to six weeks before you can even change your medication because like a B cell inhibitor wipes out your B cells and you have to wait for your B cells to beef back up and grow again. And until you can go on a TNF inhibitor, which, you know, goes against your other, you know, as far as where your immune system is focusing on. So you have to kind of give your body time to kind of catch back up. And then there's insurance too, because I thought where you're going with that was going to say sex therapy as far as being forced to be on one before another one. So people getting switched onto medications and having to deal with, you know, authorizations and approvals and that end of things too causes delays. That was what my my rheumatologist brought that up as far as I was chosen as one to go off my medication because of the type of insurance I had. And they they weren't going to do any extra charges or anything like that. They had already worked that out with the insurance companies and they knew certain insurance companies, they could you know, target those people to go off their medication versus other ones that she knows you can't touch them because they have to stay on their medication because of their situation. So again, it's hard. That's one thing that we we all put kind of that timestamp on here again as of November 2021. And if you are experiencing the switching, the shortage, the ACR did put in their recommendations or their, you know, what happens if if there's the shortage, what if you're on this medication, what you should do. And if they did put a statement in there that says, you know, please, insurance companies do not charge you know, extra, yes. do not apply yeah. the step therapy. And to my knowledge, I I can say I don't know. I mean, I've heard most people saying I didn't get charged. This is a good thing, but I can't say that they're all adhering to it. You know, right, a blanket I, I don't statement. Know. You so can't make this that, is right. kind of one of those topics to be continued, branching off from this initial put it on the table episode where we can continue many of the conversations that branch from it because it, it's it's a to be determined. I can tell you though, you know, we are an international organization. So we're, when we're talking about insurance, we are talking about the United States specifically, but just note all healthcare systems are different. All healthcare systems are gonna have different, different procedures. For example, I mentioned Sarah earlier from New Zealand. We did publish a paper on this topic. We encourage you to read it. And Sarah, well, Deb was one of the people People interviewed as well in there, but Sarah was interviewed, and in their guidance, in in New Zealand's guidance, if you were on an infusion, you were not recommended onto the injection because it does not fall under their medical plan. So they were switched to a pill form, and if you have rheumatoid arthritis specifically, so you know it was dependent on your disease, I think. But the point is, is that she is switching to a complete different mechanism of action. She's a little nervous. Her doctor feels that it's a very good alternative for her. But the fact of the matter is that it's just different in where you are. And the good news there is that it's their version of, you know, the what we're saying insurance company is that they did agree that if it does work, if the pill form does work for whomever goes on it, they will not pull that from the options. They will still pay for that, which according to Sarah is exciting because as she said, it's very difficult to get 
a, a higher price drug on their formulary or their for their options. So the fact that the the government said yes, we will continue to pay this higher price if it works for you to her that was that was really exciting news. So so you know that's just something to watch. Yeah, uh, you know what, what's happening with access, and and I really, really personally, another shout out to Forward National Data Bank, who houses our own AI arthritis data bank within their system. I think it would be very interesting to really follow the people who are switching. You find out what, yeah, yeah, what's happening. Enter it into the databanks because. Our organization fights so hard for precision medicine, so hard for individualized needs and access. If we can show data right now, right here, right now, that levels are going up, down, disease, you know, because we're not going to know how stable people are. This is going to be a, a month, year situation that we're going to have to follow people. And I really think it's an opportunity to prove with data, the importance of having the right medication for the right person. And and so I do need to talk to them about that because I, I, it's something that's kind of been on, on the back of my mind. So we've talked about the importance of, of being informed. And I want to kind of go circle back here as we're bringing this whole bubble into, <laughs> in, in, into the action and the public. So we've spent a lot of time here talking about you know, what patients are worried about, talking to your rheumatologist, what, what our what our patient listeners should do, and also just the importance of, in general, you know, when you see on social media and, you know, don't believe everything that you see and there's a lot of it, you know, we have to do a lot of intervening to make sure that information is from a reliable source. But we want to also circle back to the public. And it's also family members too, friends. Like I can't, I don't think any of my family members or my friends really know that if they don't make a decision to be vaccinated and then end up in the hospital, again, we're saying this because the largest percentage, just a fact, it's a fact. There are people who are hospitalized who have been vaccinated. Yes. There are people in the hospital that do not need oxygen and therefore do not need the, these life-saving drugs. Fact. But it's also a fact that the highest percentage are unvaccinated. So we're, we want our friends, our families, if you know, especially if you know somebody, if you know a Deb, if you know a Katie, if you know a Tiffany, then this bit of information should be important to you. Because if you choose to not be vaccinated, you're your likelihood of ending up hospitalized on oxygen greatly increases. Fact. Just a fact. If that happens, and the only current treatment really out there right now is ones that are taking our own livelihood from us, you need to have that knowledge in your in your brain. Toolbox. Yeah, your, your toolbox. And your decision-making toolbox while you're deciding, this is why I, my pros and cons. We also would like to make it clear: we know not everybody is a candidate for vaccination. One hundred percent. Yeah. We are not pushing no vaccination. We are not saying you need to be vaccinated, but we're saying we want to provide you with the information that you probably didn't know, <laughs> and then make your informed decision. 
So, so this message is, is not really for people who have already made up their mind and they're, I would never get a vaccination. We all know people like that. This is really for the people who are still trying to decide. And as we know, around the world, there's a lot of people still on, on one, which means there's a lot of people deciding whether to get that first. This is the perfect time to really step up and say it is our it is, it is our responsibility to stop overwhelming the health the healthcare systems so that we all can have access to medications we need at the right time for our own livelihood. Absolutely. And rant. <laughs> no, absolutely cuz the folks in the hospital don't know the medication they're being given and how it affects other people. They just don't know that. I mean, I've been in the hospital. I've been given medications. Typically, I'm aware of what they're giving me, but I don't understand like what other population of people might be using that medication as well. So, and I don't think that the it, it's been so obvious of a shortage either. I mean, this is a right. crisis situation. We are right. in oh, I, unprecedented <laughs> times, right? Yeah. So I don't think that, you know, when, if I were in the hospital too, and they were to say, oh, I'm going to give you this, I would never think, oh my God, I wonder if this is, is I'm taking from someone else. Right. Right. So, did somebody sacrifice this so that I, you know, I could have it. And again, we're, this is not to be a guilt situation. We are right. not it's suggesting to right. that, that they shouldn't be using this, this, this treatment. The point is this is preventable. Absolutely. Right. The situation is 100% preventable, but it can't be prevented if people don't know it's happening. Right. right. So, so it leads us to, to kind of the, the wrap up here. How can people be more informed? Just, I guess, you know, reading the information, looking at reputable government information, local and countrywide, that get the information you need. I think that is reading reputable information. That's a, a big crux of it. And I, I have a tip for that. And that's just from uh, being an administrator in online communities. Sure. Katie, Katie is as well. We get a lot of people that, that really believe that they are posting something educational that others should know an informed decision. It's the, under right. the same umbrella. And when you went, and I actually have spent many an hours reading through it because yes, the title, the, the opening pair. Okay. And you got me, I'm reading. Yeah, I'm it looks thinking, good. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. there's the big red flag. It'll have like an ad in the mm. middle of it that goes to a, a campaign that says vaccinations kill, or it, it's just, it's just like, oh, it's so hard because it's everywhere. It's in your face everywhere. And, and so even stuff that's guised to be reputable or, or informative can be redirected to something that that's going to give us just flat out false information. And that goes back to everything is happening so fast that it's, you can't, it's not being peer reviewed. It's not yes. being, yeah, it, that is a huge point that it's happening so fast that they're just chucking out these articles and this information, but it's, there's nothing behind it. There's no, you know, research or there's no anything that it's right. standing on there. So, so what, 
to expand on what Deb just said, when you conduct research, there is, and this is this kind of, if you think of maybe clinical trials, when a, when your a drug goes to market, you start with a few. Well, you start with animals and you start, you go to humans and you, you go to a few and it works okay, you go to more. It works okay, you go to more, more, more. And it gets bigger. And it's that kind of data that demonstrates that something is working. So first of all, we don't have the subgroups. We don't have the, the proper subgroups labeled like, oh, we have Katie. There's a lot of people just like Katie. There's a lot of people just like Deb. There's a lot of people just like Tiffany. And we're going to watch these certain points and see how they react. We just don't have that. What we have is a whole pot of people that are going through this very, an eruption of something that's happening so fast we don't have any of their subgroup context to go. So you've got that. So of course the data is going to be a little scattered. Skewed. Yeah. yeah. And then on top of it is what Devin mentioned. We saw this in our, when we went to ULAR, the scientific Congress in 2020, right? As COVID was exploding, there was all of these new research articles that had come out, but you had to remember they were 40 days old. So, right. so they did a lot. We'll, we'll link you all to it. It was really fascinating. They did a whole session just on peer reviews where many of these articles, they don't have time to do the real process that they would normally do to go into a publication. It takes time to be published. It takes months to go and you send your article and people review and they make sure that, that this is correct and they question it. Well, can we really say this data is true? Because we don't have the subsets. We don't have the background information. We don't have the comorbidity, other disease factors. You know, is it really COVID or is it, you know, something else? Right. It, there's too many questions. The point here is a lot of what you're seeing is just so new. Right. It's just so new. And there is information changes. But I'm going to stick to my guns here. And I'm going to, to, to say, though, what's not changing is the percentage of people un unvaccinated that are in the hospital. That is a, uh, what I'm going to say, a solid fact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Because it doesn't matter what your subgroup is. Your subgroup is unvaccinated. Don't tell me, you know, oh, I bet you they have a lot of comorbidities, et cetera. That is also untrue. There was just a publication by the CDC a couple weeks ago at the time of this airing, it is in the paper. We do have it cited as a, as a reference. And the the over 65 population was the lowest number of the people of the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. The highest ages were like 20 to 60 or something like that. That right. it was 15 times higher for unvaccinated to be hospitalized. And then, and they didn't go into chill. They didn't go underneath. It was just, right. it was a, it was adult, but that's fact. It is. And, yep. and you, you, when you think of the comorbidities and the immune and all of that, you're, you know, we always started in the pandemic with the, with the older population. Well, guess what? The older population is getting vaccinated. <laughs> you know, I mean, the numbers don't lie on this. They just don't lie. I again go on my soapbox. Sorry. No, I mean it's a good, it's a great point. And my doctor and my pharmacist, they both said unvaccinated people are the ones that are taking this medication in a higher proportion. That's why that just sticks out in my head so yeah. much. And it's you know frustrating that I'm not getting what I need to feel good. 
You don't even have a choice. You didn't have a choice. That's a good comment, Katie. And I think that both of those comments really bring us to sort of the wrap up here on on what's next. As we start to wrap this up, we are going to just talk about some next steps here. Uh, One of the things that I think is noteworthy, if we're talking about the research that has been happening starting in 2020, we're moving forward. Here we are, end of 2021, and guess where we're going? The ACR, ACR 2021. And when I say we, all three of us are going. I'm going, Katie's going, Deb's going, and guess who else is going? Drum roll. Not going to tell you. We have... But it's a teaser. It is. Every year, I mean, every one of these conferences, we bring people, we say, go with us. It's been a pilot project. We've been testing now since 2020. And so the idea is that we already have a lot of experience going to these, and they're very scientific. I mean, it says it right in the name. It's a scientific (laughs) conference, and the sessions, therefore, are very complex. And so we have created glossaries. We have a lot of conversations in layman terms. We open up the dialogue to ask questions. We'll go back and look at the sessions and find more more information. So patients, people living with our diseases don't have to feel overwhelmed with information. I'm overwhelmed. I don't, I don't want to ask a stupid question. I, we get that a lot and there aren't with us, there, there aren't any. So what we do is our core team, which is here, we then invite other patients to go with us and they can be volunteers with our, within our organization or just persons that we're, we're friends with in the community and last time, so for ACR, we brought Leslie Rott Wellsbacher, who is getting closer to myself blog. And then we also brought Eileen Davidson, also known aka Chronic Eileen, and Patrice, who is a long-term volunteer with our organization. And this time, uh, we are going to bring two people, and I'm not going to tell you who they are yet. But uh, they are both up and coming. Well, one is more up and coming. The other one has started to be established. Actually, one, uh, We Go Health Rookie of the Year a couple years ago, if that gives you a hint. And so we have two new people going with us. And But that doesn't mean you can't go with us, too, because we do debriefs. We, we disseminate the information. And then we invite you to comment on it, to submit your questions. So you can go with us virtually as well. And then as we actually go back to conferences in person, cross our fingers in 2022, we'll keep Mm. this format. And then those online can still tune in and go with us remotely. So that's the idea of the umbrella. But the point being tune in that is November early. So, I mean, it's, it's not far from the time of this, this airing and we don't just cram everything into a few days. We do take the opportunity to spread it out over a couple of weeks. So you have an opportunity to learn more about all of this COVID and vaccination plus some with the, with the go with us program. And then there's also one of the things I'm going to circle back to in the beginning, I talked about this is step two. So we have that whole process of our talk show. And what we do with this is anything that was talked about here, we can expand on. And we want to expand on because the conversation can't end just because the show ends. Otherwise, we can't solve the problems. So when we're talking about informed decision making, all of these points we'll continue to talk about. So while it aired for the first time, which is always on the those Sunday monthly episodes from there 
any other way we want to talk about this as part of our talk show can emerge. So it might be a webinar. We were talking about doing doing a webinar follow-up here with, with Al, with Dr. Al Kim. And we also can have YouTube videos. We could do online conversations. We could do surveys. There's all types of things that will stem from this. So you want to make sure you sign up for our AI Arthritis Voices program which is free, and it basically notifies you of, of ways that you can still get involved. So you can find that on our website at aiarthritis.org backslash Voices. <laughs> you can also just go to our website and look. It's under, it's under our initiatives. And then you could also find our Go With Us at our website too, backslash conferences. And then we will be bringing more people in addition to, to to Dr. Al Kim, I want to give a shout out to the Looms for Lupus ladies, Stella and Juana Mata, who are also recurring co-hosts on this show. Their organization is going to be helping us on our COVID and vaccination and informed decisions and shared decision-making education in the Hispanic, Latino communities. So we just want to give a shout out to their. So again, you can see this is this is branching out. We have we do have a COVID page, so they could always go to arthritis.org backslash COVID. But then specifically for the Ectemer issue or shortages, which may happen in the future, to read the full paper, find the press release, and we're having expanded a paper with more about Deb's journey and and some of the others. We interviewed five other people, uh, so their their full stories and more information about the topic will be as well. And that's arthritis.org backslash shortage. So uh, if you are experiencing this, in addition to reading that article, we're going to have a form right there on the page. So you can you can message us and let us know this is happening to you so that we can continue following this very, very important topic as we navigate our way through unprecedented times. Also, I just want to mention, you can always find us on social media at IFAI Arthritis. If you love the show, give us a rating. Those are always great. Give us a review. And don't forget while you're on the website to hit that big old red donate button. So uh, we can't do what we do without your support. And we really appreciate it. So in closing, I want to thank Miss Deb, Deb Olicious Constein. Woo! <laughs> Love it, and and someday we'll we'll tell y'all that that story, and um, and someday I'll get my own nickname. <laughs> oh, I know, I yeah. got to come up with one now. It'll just it, it just happened naturally. It's just, it that's the that's the best way. And so, but thank you both for coming to the table, talking about um, this very important issue. And we invite everybody to to submit your feedback. Let us know what what you think of this situation. And, you know, how you're making your informed decisions about things, navigating your way through COVID and vaccinations, because only together can we change the stories and situations of tomorrow. So thank you all. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune.